0: If you are a weekend surfer, a pro surfer, or like me, an urban surf addict, and you'd like to know the nitty gritty about the behind the scenes of surfing, this is the podcast for you. In each episode of Amongst the Waves, I bring you guests and their stories of how being involved in the surfing industry has not always been a direct path filled with the glamour you see on Instagram. These are their own stories in their own words from people who live and love surfing. Are you a surfer on the Qualifier Series? Do you want to improve your ranking and know the secrets to having the mindset of a pro surfer on the Championship Tour? I've created a guide for you and it's called The Three Ways to Overcome the Mental Battles of Professional Surfing. And you can get your free copy in my bio on Instagram. You can find me there at Tanya A. Carroll. Michelle Mitchell is a coach and an educator in the areas of personal development, well-being, career education and transition management. Michelle holds an OAM OLY and is a gold medal athlete after being part of the incredibly successful hockey ruse team in their campaign in Atlanta in 1996. Until recently, Michelle held the position of Athlete Wellbeing and Engagement Manager of Surfing Australia. In this role, she has helped develop programs that gives athletes the structure inside and outside of their sport that they need to avoid the common pitfalls of life after retirement. And what she herself experienced as an identity crisis coupled with depression. Michelle now works with the Queensland Academy of Sport as the lead athlete wellbeing and engagement officer. Hi, Michelle. How are you going? Yeah, really good. How are you? Yeah, good. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to speak with you was because I heard you on her wave last year in the four week program that we did. I heard you speak on that and um, piqued my interest because I have a background in coaching. 17 years, but from the health and wellness side of things, as well as the physical, practical side of things. And the things that you do with athletes and in your roles really interested me. So can you explain a little bit about what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, great. Um, Well, I've just come off four years actually working at Surfing Australia as the Athlete Wellbeing Engagement Lead. As we know, surfing's an Olympic sport um, now. So it sits in that AIS framework of the Olympic sports. And I really just recently made the really difficult decision to leave surfing. I loved it there and I loved the work that we were really making progress with. And I've now gone to Queensland Academy of Sport as the lead athlete wellbeing engagement manager. So what does that mean? It means that we've got 20 sports now. We've gone from six sports to 20 sports um, obviously, we've got the Brisbane Olympics in 2032, too, so there's been some good funding being put towards that vision. Um, I've got a team of, of four staff and we're servicing oh, probably just just over 250 athletes um, but have about, you know, over 600 on our list, so it's, it's pretty considerable.
0: What makes you want to go from, I imagine Surfing Australia was a much smaller athlete pool than mm-hmm. that,
1: what makes you want to go from that to the bigger pool? Um, I think what was attractive is uh, going into a role where I had to lead and manage a team, which for me um, I felt as a personal challenge and also a good growth area. Um, obviously at, at, at surfing there was a little team um, and so I've I've gone into that and I'm really enjoying that experience. But also... It's probably a bigger playing field where I can be having more conversations and more influence across sports and the industry about how we embed athlete wellbeing into the daily performance environment and how do we work with um, integration of teams through physios, psychs, essence, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, and really show and lead on what breast practice looks like that. And and that's requiring a lot of uh, challenging conversations but also really fruitful and in my role, I'm three months in, it's been really well received and embraced.
0: When you were an athlete, and we'll go into um, what you were or- – who you were and what you've achieved in your own personal um, athletic career mm. but did were there things missing that you now bring to those roles that you wished you had had when you were an athlete
1: oh absolutely I think back when I played um, which is a long time now they were called ace coordinators athlete career education and really that connection was really about are you studying or working and if you are, tick, you're going to have good well-being well-being and, and, and off you go. Um, for me specifically, what was I missing? It's really interesting. It's a good question because if you look at the best practice in our space, it's about being connected with community, having a career or education pathway, authentic experiences where you can be upskilled. I actually did that in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did three Olympic campaigns. So you think, wow, with all of that, those experiences of going to uni and, and getting qualified, I even did some TAFE courses, I did volunteer work, I was sort of in the social work area. Mm-hmm. I actually and then I retired injured um in year two thousand and um it was actually 10 months post transition where I probably um had an experience where I was experienced panic attacks right. um, and I had anxiety um, and, and throwing in the mix of that my mother had passed away so it was pretty heavy at the time but as I um, sourced out some support um, and psychology was one of them I probably identified that I literally navigated three Olympic campaigns without really understanding who I was as a human Mm. And then I actually went into a sport where we were told constantly what to do and uh, I was pretty raw and my decision-making as an individual wasn't very good. I was the youngest of four children um, growing up. So I really didn't have a lot of responsibility as an athlete or as a human at that point and even throughout my family life. So you had to,
0: you, you were told basically where you needed to be, what you needed to be doing yeah. on this day, on that day, and and had boundaries
1: and, and strict boundaries, I imagine, being on three Olympic teams. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so when I really had to reflect and do some hard work with the psychologist, I really, uh, in hindsight, looking back why I was having the anxiety and the panic attacks was really just because I didn't know who I was and what, And and even decision making, like even to make um, a really basic decision around what support I needed was very difficult and it created anxiety because I was very indecisive. But even I had to have some surgery post-retirement, normally those things in the elite system were just done for you. And um, scheduled
0: and organised, and you didn't yeah. have to make a decision about who you were going to see for it or where or when. Yeah.
1: Yes, I would. I had numerous um, knee operations throughout my career. I really never had any decision-making process required in that journey because we would just get the information um, from the surgeon. Yep, she needs to have surgery. But I never challenged that. I was never inquisitive about that. Mm. Um, and that's not the sport's fault or anyone's fault but my own. And I guess that's...
0: If oh, and, I, and the time that you grew up in, I imagine, as well, because were you in Canberra at the AIS?
1: Uh, no, I was in Perth. So okay. hockey was a centralised program. It still is in Perth. I think they're actually going centralised now. But um, I had to move to Perth as an 18-year-old, mm. Um and I was exposed to life very quickly out of my home of four. I was a, I was from a mining town in Newcastle in, in Redhead at Redhead Beach where Ooh, I grew up yeah. in a surf community. I was raw. Um, I turned up to the AAS like uh, overweight. I was partying from celebrating um, turning 18 and, and leaving school and surviving year 12 or, or getting through to the end of it. Um, so it was a it was a really big transition. Um, I embraced that, but um, I, I probably um, I was very raw in that process.
0: Yeah. So I grew up in Canberra, which is why I asked about the AIS. Um, I had a bit to do with it over my years there. I was not an athlete, but my brother actually played for the Canberra Raiders. Oh. So yeah. So from and. In that era, well, I'm born in 1973. He was born in 1975, so he's just a couple of years younger than me. But going through the 80s and early 90s and looking at his progression as an athlete and and what and again it's not just exclusively to the Raiders, but I think from what I saw across many sports, they had they tried to support their athletes, like the Canberra Raiders, they had programs where they would go out to the community and they'd do clinics for the kids and try and engage and keep that connection between community and the athletes so that they didn't get too far away. Because particularly in Canberra, it was very, Canberra's a very insular place. It's like a bubble. It's like a big country town. I imagine like similar to where you mm. grow up, but probably mm. a bit bigger. But if you're an athlete and I had this experience with my brother, if my brother was in the car and I got pulled over by the police, we were let go because the police recognized who he was, even if I was doing the wrong thing. So it's, it creates this, and I saw it in other sports as well with other athletes. We grew up around the swimmers with Lake Junindera was one of the um, AIS feeding schools for the athletes, for the swimmers particularly, Mm -hmm. that they were very much put up on this pedestal and um, separated from normal life kind of thing but had the advantages of the life of a semi rock star. So they were protected. And I think sometimes that protection was to their detriment in other areas of their life, which is why we see a lot of depression and anxiety and those and uh, um, like not knowing who you are, like you talked about in when they come out of that sport, because that's all they've known.
1: Yeah. So yeah. That's
0: what, like what you guys are doing now and what you do as an athlete, um, like in that environment of helping them understand that there's more to sport than just, or more to life than sport. It's a big part of it, but everything else and those factors around it and, and teaching them to be able to do those the things like decision making and, and having a conversation with a physio or a surgeon and saying what about this perspective and having more involvement in their body and their life I think is so vital to a length of career and human life.
1: Yeah and I think in the 80s and 90s um, there was a lot of entitlement especially for those high profile athletes um, and we probably weren't doing them any favors. Um, no. I came from a sport where we had to work to survive, so we understood what that looked like. I think a lot of um, athletes from that era were passengers are in, in their own journey. And I think today where we challenge athletes in the space that I work in with is you're the driver of your bus, who's sitting in the passenger seat, and who's sitting in the back seat and that's your support team and what does that look like so if we have an athlete now that um is some way instead of trying to go and have the meeting so if they're challenged with a coach um it's it's our role then to say okay well if that's a difficult conversation you've got to have then you're driving your bus mm. what does that look like how does that How does that process um, look like and what support do you need around you in order to get to that position where you have a difficult conversation? Because the reality is that that athlete's going to sit in a workplace after their sport and they have to have difficult conversation with their work colleagues or their management teams. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing them any favours and I guess that comes down the root of the problem we always hear that is transition. The root of the problem isn't transition it's when they come into the elite system and setting that um, framework from the very beginning and the expectations that you you have to drive your bus and then we'll support you on that um, and provide opportunities for you to be upskilled in certain areas but you have to be the driver of your own journey Do you come across
0: athletes and have you come across athletes and you don't have to name anybody because that's beyond what we want to do, but have you come across people who are driving the bus but it's not their own bus, that it's somebody
1: else's bus that they're the driver of? So, um, I guess you get some athletes that think that's the way it should be because they've been told, but there's a process. We do a lot of values-based coaching with athletes around What are your values? What's important? Who's important in that process? And we talk about sometimes when they're not feeling fantastic and a lot of emotions and behaviors come up, um, we just say to them, Well, that's you moving away from who you authentically are. Mm. And so, how do we put some actions in place to really connect you back in with your values and what's important and who's important? And there's you know, we do a bit of a coaching um, process with athletes around that. We do group work in that and we also do individual. And the biggest one that pops up is how to have a difficult conversation, whether that's with your teammates or your coach or um, your parents. I was just going to um, say parents. That's where I was. That's what yeah. my question was about. Is it, is it their dream or is it their parents' dream? Um, sometimes it's the parents' dream. Um, but we we have um I have historically worked with parents around that and um you know it's really difficult for some sports because like surfing, you know, the parent is key to the journey for that athlete because they start at such a young age. Um the parent becomes the manager, the mm. coach. It's it's an expensive sport. So but as a sporting system, we've never really given tools to parents. We give tools to coaches. We give tools to athletes. And so now we're starting um, to provide those tools. I know last year we did a podcast with Tyler Wright and her coach and her support team, um, and just she talked about her experiences with her with her own um team and her family and she provided some real insight as an athlete around that and I know at QAS we're looking at that space now um, I know Ash Barty's dad talks I've listened to him talk a couple of times about best practice in parenting and um, he's he, there's some really good resource out there so we're starting to look at what tools we can actually give to parents and how do we bring the parents into that process so they have an understanding
0: yeah, um, because and, it all comes part from of it. a good
1: place
0: yeah that's right they want the best for their child and um I think sometimes as a parent in any situation our perspective can be um not blinded but altered by our love for our, our child and wanting the best for our child and maybe that choice is not the best for that our child and we can't see that and sometimes it takes perspective from somebody else to be able to come in and say, maybe we need to do it this way with this particular tool. Or maybe you need to step back a bit at this point in time and this is where you need to step up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know from my experiences, 10 years as, a, as I guess, a hockey coach um, in, in trying to you know navigate parents and, and, and their needs and their questions and their curiosity around wanting to be involved and then um, when to let go. It's a, it's, a, it's a real juggle.
0: Do you or did you come up against um, or, or had you, have you been in the arena with surfing in particular when that's that gender inequality
1: and how did you navigate that in terms of your role? Uh Gender inequality. I probably see gender inequality probably more in workplaces than I have experienced in sport with surfing. um, I didn't really experience it. Probably sometimes you might experience an athlete as with a sponsor and the demand on women to men with what they wear in their photo shoots. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Some athletes, you know, because we talked about values and we really ingrained that in our program, we had female athletes actually saying to sponsors, actually, it's really great you want me to wear this bikini, but it really doesn't align with who I am. So I felt we've really um, changed the landscape for the next generation coming through with them, one, having conversations with the sponsors that, that want them on board, around mm. what their values are. And, and actually, if I'm going to sign a contract with you, what does my development plan look like out of the water?
0: Um, what do they say? Like, what do sponsors say when they, you say that? What, what's your development
1: plan for me? Uh, they're really I- open to it. And we had those conversations and they were really um, refreshing to hear that they were interested um, around that. But also, you got to remember you're talking to a business that is all about the dollar, Right. So right. it's very hard to put that person in the position that you're speaking with when they want to do the right thing. But then, you you know, you, you're talking about big companies here. So there's a bit more to it than just, oh, you know, it's all right for me having that conversation with that manager around, well, this is what it looks like or the athlete being involved in that. But where we encourage is the athlete to have those conversations, um, but really well received. In terms of the equality, in terms of men and women, the men and women that I experienced at surfing, um, the respect um, was I found both men and women, the athletes that I dealt with, are really respectful. And I probably I've worked with quite a lot of athletes in a number of sports and I felt surfing were really um the surfing athletes that I dealt with were so respectful of and grateful for the role that we played. But surfers from a very young age get on planes. They go from one country to another. It's not like they go to one state, you know. I guess no. when they start off in the talented Regional. ID and the, the qualifying series, they're travelling nationally. But then they, the rookie year, they literally get on plane and go from country to country. So they are getting all these skills very early on as athletes that some other athletes in other sports aren't exposed to that. When I was involved at AFL, I really questioned um, the sport around why do you actually check in all these athletes' luggage? Why don't the athletes line up and actually check in their own luggage? Because that is the reality of when they leave this sport, they actually have to know how to check luggage in. Yeah. I think anywhere where you can encourage the athlete to be responsible for the real basic things like checking in a luggage. And I saw um, a skill set at surfing that I've not seen before, and that was taking the lead, taking responsibility for your own journey. And I know I had a real um, appreciation and respect for those athletes and parents that uh, um, within the, the surfing community.
0: Do you think that's because it's a sport, like you said, that they have to travel a lot, so it's something that they take for granted that they just do?
1: Yeah, they just do and they, they, they learn. Like I look at all the rookies on tour this year, you know, I'm still connected with them. I'm so proud of them just um, being connected with who they are and we've done so much work with them around the values piece and it's, it's only now we're starting to see that. Yeah. Um, because they're making the world tour and, and it's great to hear the WSL acknowledging that, going, look at all these rookies on tour. It's like biggest I heard the rookie m- year
0: we've had, I think. The rookie year that we've had ever on the oh, WSL.
1: Yeah, I heard an interview the other day with Molly and um, the WSL commentator said, Hey, what what is it with you rookies at the moment? You know, you're doing so well. And she just confidently said, Yeah we know what we're doing and they've probably not seen this before, but we're just feeling really confident about what we're doing. And I was like, wow, there's a confident young woman speaking up, being her authentic self and, and not afraid or intimidated um, by the people that, you know, have been excelling on this world tour for a long time. But she also had the respect there. And those senior athletes um, have got a lot of respect for the rookies. So you just go, you're looking at across the whole stream of that and go, wow, there's so much respect on the tour right now um, that I'm observing. You know, as an observer, obviously I'm not in the thick of it, and it's just, it's really refreshing to see. Absolutely,
0: it's um, it is really nice to see. Do they yeah. get um, education in around in and around how to handle the media as well and keeping them grounded in that? Yeah,
1: space? we. We do a lot, we did a lot of that in the talent and ID, I guess in that emerging, um, at QAS we call it developing and emerging and we're doing that language now across sports. And so that's the core of the work we're doing for the developing and emerging groups. Yep. And so social media training, social branding training, um, values-based coaching. Uh, we do MasterChef. We did MasterChef at surfing. So they'd get a budget. They We'd get them um, to the buses and go down to Coles. they do their shopping and we'd give them a bit of a, a spec on, okay, you're competing tomorrow, what sort of food are you going to have? And then we'd bring the nutritionists in to cook with them. Yeah. Um, and so they were put in real-life situations that would happen on tour and then, um, you know, they're, they're putting in their $10 worth for the cooking and then they would present that at the end and we would all eat it. So those experiences were not only fun and had the, the surfers working together as a team, um, but just that education piece was then put in to make it fun around the master chef. How do you help them
0: identify their skill sets and talents? Because I know, um, I think it's Isabella Nichols is now studying at Bond University to, in a degree or doing a degree in engineering and wave technology, which interests me because I'm working at Urban Surf. Yeah. Um, how do you help an athlete or a human identify their strengths outside of
1: their talent in the sport? Yeah, well, I guess I could probably speak to Bella because she's made all this public, so it's out there now, and I always sort of ring her and say, hey, I'm about to go on stage. Can I tell them your story? And she's always like, sure. When Bella came to me four years ago, or five, it would be five years ago now, she was probably just surfing and trying to make the world tour. Um, so her team, um, there was a team of us looked at the ways that we could probably... Um, implement some things to support her to get more of a balance because I think when I came into surfing there was one person studying. Yeah. Um yeah there was a lot of kids at school or homeschooling but majority were just surfing in yeah. that elite environment. So that was something that was concerning um but also exciting because we could change the landscape to the way that um you know we could shape the athlete wellbeing engagement area. But Bella um, it just came from a coaching conversation um, with Bella around what her strengths were at school and what she was interested in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that led to a conversation um, with Surfing Australia's sponsor, Asiona, who um, were very much into the environment, but also engineering. And at that stage, we'd signed Bella up to um, study engineering, and we found a university where she could do it online. Mm-hmm um so then we're like oh wow we've got her studying engineering and she can chip away at that then we had Asiona the company which I saw yesterday she did an ad for them so the the relationship on that has bloomed she's also done some work experience at Asiona in um Toowoomba and then we went well if your university's in Melbourne and urban surf there let's let's talk to B Durbridge about connecting you with um, the Urban Surf engineering team at Urban Surf, because when you go down there, you can learn about wave Pool Engineering. Yep. And so you look at now from where she came and all those things started to happen, Then, then I don't know whether it was coincidental, she made the world tour. Yeah. Because when you have an athlete that doesn't invest just in the surfing element and you have them invested in all these other areas, if they get injured, The pillars, only one of the pillars of the house comes off, right? Right. right, Or one of the tyres off the bus, like we talked about before, comes off.
0: You can still still drive
1: drive that bus. Yeah. 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 And the house is still standing. So um, she's really engaged now on many levels. And to watch her progression and depth and, and her to grow as a human has been incredible Um, And even seeing her just on National Women's Day just recently wearing the Bardi shirt, I was like, I can really understand why you connected with her in the way that you did. Um, But, you know, we we used to only have the Bella story, you know.
0: And now you've got multiple.
1: Uh, We've got multiples. You know, Callum Robson's got a story. India Robinson's got her own business in The Queen in Me. There's um, Philippa Anderson's doing a surf school. It's just incredible now to see them flourish out of their sport, but they're actually thriving in in their competitive environments, which has just been great to see. And the support team at surfing to create all that to the athlete um, through um, strength and conditioning and physio and psychology um, and uh, the high performance team was, was quite incredible.
0: Having all the right people in the right, not all the right, yeah. but all the right people, in the right places, but yeah. supporting them as they need it. In my practice, we call that the four doctors. So we talk about Dr. Quiet, Dr. Diet, Dr. Movement, and Dr. Happiness. Yeah. Love that. And those four doctors, it comes from one of my mentors, Paul check who runs the Czech yeah. Institute. But Dr. Happiness really drives everything else. You can have other elements, Dr. Quiet, Diet, and Dr. Movement, all going 100%, but If you don't know what makes you happy you're never going to have that balance between all four of them and the other three will suffer as a result of not knowing what your doctor happiness is yeah and the same it needs to have that you need to be touching on each of
1: those every single day
0: to be well-rounded as a human
1: oh absolutely and the conversation today is as an observer and someone working in the industry it's almost like you've got to say to the athlete it's, it's it's not optional anymore. Yeah. It's it's necessary because it's actually going if you can be open to that and and open to having those experiences and trying new things it's actually going to be make you better at your sport. Yeah. Um and being open and opening to listening to that you know I've had a few athletes where you want to have those conversations. Some athletes are the roadblockers to their own success because they're not embracing those support systems around them. They think they know it all. Um, And I know that because I've been there. I've lived it firsthand. I thought I knew it all, you know, as an athlete. Um, And I even look back on my own um, journey. You know, a lot of people say I don't have regrets. I'm like, oh, I have so many regrets about not listening because I could have been a better player, you know? Yeah. Um, and and so it's like saying now, hey, it's it's kind of not negotiable. And that's where we're trying to get coaches to say now, well, you don't need to just have a conversation about their sport. What are they doing out of the water? Get interested in that because that's how I see us. We are... I know it's athlete wellbeing, engagement managers, but what does that mean? We're just the coach away from their sport and we've got to be able to challenge them in the same way that as a a technical or tactical coach does as well.
0: So what would be your advice to someone who is an athlete, who is showing potential?
1: Oh, just to get on that journey. Um, Make sure you're driving the bus, not the passenger. And then what is your team look like in the back and whatever opportunities come to play listen to what those opportunities are and look to see if they connect with you and your values and what's important and just just try things but um and be really open to hearing things that you don't want to hear um, because uh, i remember rick charlesworth said to our group some people would rather be ruined with praise rather than saved with criticism but in order to grow as an athlete and to develop you have to hear the hard stuff Um, and we have that in our working environments too you know I'm I find in this new role I'm constantly having challenging and difficult conversations but I'm actually like this is really healthy because we if In order to get to where we want to get to we've got to have those difficult conversations and although they're hard and they're exhausting and it sometimes hurtful it's actually where the growth and the the development occurs in order for you to then thrive and connect with what matters to where you're trying to get to yeah the one the one dream for
0: everybody on the team yeah what are you excited about in the near and the distant future Michelle
1: I think I'm really excited. I I think from I'm really excited to see the growth of surfing and those athletes, where it goes, because I'm still really connected with surfing. Um, I'm really excited for the next generation of athletes coming through. If you look at them, the 2032 athletes, I mean, there's athletes um, out there right now or kids sitting in schools that are going to be inspired to maybe become an Olympian. Um, and, and that's exciting and the support networks and the new generation of coaches coming through, it's a really exciting time, um, to be an athlete, um, and, and really having them drive their own bus for their own journey. I think that's the evolution we're looking at. Coaches are already talking in this space and they're embedding it. It's, it's really, um, exciting to be part of that.
0: Gives me, like, I'm sitting here with goosebumps thinking about the potential we have as Australians for the future yeah. in our athletic world and everything that surrounds that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much for being with me today, Michelle.
1: Thank you. I hope you've
0: enjoyed this episode of Amongst the Waves. I would love for you to leave your review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help increase our rankings, let more people listen to the podcast, and share the love.